We have such an awesome, delightful task here. Our goal with the messages this weekend is to reimagine God. Not that we haven't imagined him before, but isn't it true that, that God's heart, that God's character is a massive ocean of discovery? I've read somewhere that even after we leave this present world and we make our home in the earth made new, I've read that, that the love of God will be our science and our song for all eternity. Our science in that it will be our intellectual pursuit, our study, our song in that God's love will be our artistic pursuit, the pursuit of our, of our song, our poems, and everything that, that emerges from human creativity to somehow approximate at least how truly astounding it is that the most powerful person in the universe just happens to love you and me more than his own existence. What a privilege to explore this topic here with you. So we're going to reimagine God this morning through the eyes of a little girl. I encountered this child of only five years old in a venue like this, but there was a center aisle that became very important for her. Her name was Megan. I called her Megan, and she corrected me. She said, it's Megan, not Megan. And so I corrected my pronunciation. Five years old, and she was sitting through a long series of meetings, 10, 15 nights long. I can't remember exactly, but a lot of nights. There she was to my left on the front row. Her mother came to me at one point and said, I I'm sorry, all the other children are at the children's meetings and I've told Megan she needs to go be with the, with the little people. She needs to go be with the children. But, but she looked at me and she said, Mommy, I like that man. <laughs> and I said, that's cool with me. She can stay and, and listen. And I thought, ah, she's a mere five years old. What can she understand? She'll probably play with felts and color and eat Cheerios the whole time. That's what I was thinking. But throughout the series, I would look down and... It seemed to me that little Megan was tracking. She was looking straight into my eyes and she had a look of understanding. Like she was really processing what it was that I was talking about. And then occasionally she would turn to her lap where she had something going on and, and she would begin to work on her little project. When the meetings were finally over and I was gathering my things, my computer and a few books and putting everything in my bag, the lights were going down around the church, just a few people lingering around the edges. The series was over, the meetings were over. It was all coming to an end. And there I saw little Megan approaching in the center aisle from the back of the church. And she was making her way toward me with a piece of paper dangling in one hand by her side. And her mommy was behind her to kind of coach her along. 
And little Megan came up to me. She looked up into my face, and she said, Mr. Ty. She was an enthusiastic little girl, and it's the only time I've ever heard my name with multiple syllables. <laughs> Mr. Ty, she said. I said, yes, Megan. She said, Mr. Ty. She said, I, I, I love you. And I thought, wow, this is incredible. What, 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 what's going on here? I love you, she said. She lifted her hand. She said, I love you with all my, and then she had a vocabulary breakdown. She lost the word. I love you with all my tummy. And she rubbed her little tummy. And her mom from behind said, sweetie, no, your heart. She said, Mr. Ty, that would be all my heart with which I love you. And I said, ah, oh, Megan, I love you too. And then Megan handed me that piece of paper. She put it in my hands, and I found myself looking at the most beautiful piece of art I've ever seen in my life. I've been to the Louvre with my wife, and she made me march through that thing in Paris for three days straight. I've seen the world's best art, and I was now looking at something that transcended all of it. And as I looked at the piece of paper, little Megan said, do you see it? I said, yeah, it's beautiful, Megan. Thank you. No, she said, do you really see it? I looked a little more carefully. I said, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's incredible. What a beautiful picture you've, you've colored for me. Mr. Tide, do you really see it? And in the picture, as I'm examining, there's a beautiful blue sky in the background. There's an ocean. There's a sun shining in the sky with yellow rays. There are a few birds flying. And there, along the beach, two people are walking. She said, do you see it? She said, there's a big person and a little person. I said, yeah, I see that. And she said, Mr. Tide, you're the big one, and I'm the little one. I said, wow, that's you? That looks exactly like you, Megan. That doesn't look like me at all, but that looks like you. She said, but do you really see it? And I looked, and I looked, and she said, Mr. Ty, you can see it, can't you? I said, what, Megan? Tell me. She said, we're holding hands. I said, wow, we are. She said, do you know why? She's just about to go Pentecostal. <laughs> she said, do you know why? I said, why? Why are we holding hands? And the most profound thing that a human being could utter came out of her lips. She said, Mr. Ty, we're holding hands because we like each other. I said, yes, we do. Yes, we do, Megan. We like each other. And that piece of art communicated to me not, not just Megan's heart in that moment, but I realized that, that this, was, this was theology as good as it gets. That this was, in fact, this was, in fact, what what the whole universe is about. This is what everything is tending toward. This is the, the powerful force of, of 
gravity, relational gravity that's just pulling all of us into its vortex. We're all being pulled upon, drawn upon by a love that is very, very friendly. And we're broken. We're, we're so damaged that we don't know what it's like to love like little Megan was loving in that moment. I, I want to explore with you what I'm going to refer to as both the, the enormity and the intimacy of God's love. The, the enormity and the intimacy of God's love. I, I want to talk to you about the big reality of God's love for all. Does God love everybody? Yes or no? God loves everybody. But God doesn't just love everybody as a, a nameless mass. We're not a sea of faces for God. Yes, God loves everybody, yes. But God loves each, each one, as if there were no one else in the universe to love. There is the, the large embrace of God's for all, and then there is the very personal, hypersensitive love of God for each individual. And it's so important that we not allow the big idea of God's love for everybody to crowd out the personal idea of God's love for each one by name. Now, we all know John 3.16 if we've read the Bible at all. Even if you've never read the Bible, you know John 3.16, right? For God so, that's so, that's in the Hebrew, so I just put that there for you. God so deeply, passionately, overwhelmingly God so selflessly loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life but listen 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 you see in the text don't you maybe you've seen it before maybe this is the first time you'll see it but you can see right now you can see the world that God loves and you can see whosoever can't you? Yes, God loves everybody, the whole world, but God loves whosoever, each individual person. In, in, a, in a favorite book of mine, if you're not familiar with this book, you probably want to grab a copy. This is amazing. In the book Steps to Christ by Ellen White, on page 100, we read these words, the relations between God and each soul, check this out, are as distinct and full as though there were not another soul upon the earth to share his watch care, not another soul for whom he gave his beloved son. Isn't this astounding? Now, you and I, we, we don't love with this kind of this kind of fullness and, and this kind of very specific individual love for, for everybody. We just can't because we're finite. And so we have finite emotional capacity, finite relational capacity. But God is infinite in all his capacities. We, we sometimes talk about God is omnipotent. That means God is all-powerful. 
We talk about how God is omniscient. That means God knows everything. But, but it's not a data concept. It's not, it's not simply saying that God knows all the information there is to know. God's, God's not a trivia junkie. Certainly he knows everything, all the data there is to know. But, but God's omniscience communicates that not only does God know everything, but God knows everyone. God knows every detail of your life. He knows every tear you've ever shed. He knows every time you crack a smile. He knows every slight fluttering of discomfort in your heart or nervousness at a job interview. God, in his omni-capacities, is present to our individual lives as if we were the only person in all the universe to be with. Now, this sounds like hyperbole, but, but I assure you, I'm not exaggerating for effect. Even on the human level, we know how this works. We know that even on the human level, we can be conscious of one person in a crowd in a very special way. My wife Sue often travels with me. She planned on being here for these meetings, but when we travel together, when I stand up to speak, I immediately, just instinctively, like a reflex, I just locate her in the crowd. I know where she is immediately when I first, there, okay, that's where she is. I see her, I can't look at her too long, because if I look at her, she starts flirting with me with her eyes, and I'm like, I'm, I'm look at her with my eyes, because when you've been married for a while, you communicate without words, and I'm like, don't. No, I'm about to preach the word, girl. Stop it. Stop it. And I'll just look away. I'll just look away so I can focus on the task at hand. But the point is this. The point is this. Have you ever been alone with someone in a crowd? Of course you have. Because the nature of a relationship is such that when you're in love, when you really love someone, you see them in a very special way. Now imagine God with his omni-capacities. God literally knows and loves each one as if there were no one else in all the universe to love. There is a very real sense in which you are alone in the universe with God. I am alone in the universe with God. That's how acute God's consciousness is of you, of me, present to every moment. Now, we're finite. We, we know from our own human experience that love is an exponential reality, right? It's the only exponential reality I know of. If you know of another, let me know. But love is a, a kind of thing, it's a reality that has no ceiling, no floor, no walls. You can always love someone more than you ever have before. You can always come to love somebody more 
intelligently than you ever have before because you know them in ways now in this moment that you didn't know them just moments ago. You can have a friendship that goes on for years and that friend opens his mouth, opens her mouth, and things come out that you never knew about them and they're more precious to you because you see a dimension of their personality or their character or their life or their history you've never seen before. Isn't that how love works, even on the human level? You can always love somebody more intelligently and more passionately than you ever have before. But we're, we're limited as human beings. For example, just imagine for a moment, this is going to be challenging, but go ahead, just imagine for a moment that you have 10 children. Go ahead. You have 10 children, not two, not, not four, not five. You have 10 kids. The first question is, why did you do that to yourself? <laughs> but once you get over the shock and awe of it all, you just have to settle in for the long haul, right? You've got to do it. You have 10 kids. Now, question for you as a human being, a finite human being with limited capacities. Do you love every one of those children with all of your love? Or is it a matter of division? 10% for you, 10% for you, 10... Is that how love works? Is it possible to love more than one person with all your heart? Megan looked at me and said, Ty, I love you with all my heart. Did she? I mean, what about her mom? What about her brothers? What about her dad? She had a family around her. Didn't she love them also simultaneously with all her heart? Isn't that really how love works? Of course it does. If you lost one of those 10 children you have, if you lost even one of them, you couldn't have another 10 to replace the one, could you? You couldn't have 100 children if you were super fertile. You couldn't have... <laughs> That wasn't right. I shouldn't have said that. You, you couldn't have a hundred more children to replace that one. Am I right? Because each one is completely unique and irreplaceable. Isn't that the way love works? Now, you love each of the ten with all your heart. You're tracking with me with the illustration, right? But we're limited. We're finite. So the illustration begins to break down for us as human beings. We can wrap our minds around loving ten people with all our hearts. But once you have like, I don't know where it breaks down, but let's say you have 56 children. The illustration breaks down for you and me. If you have 56 children, you don't give them names even. You assign numbers. You, do, you don't sit around the table and have dinner. You, you fill a cattle trough in the backyard with spaghetti and say, go for it. And then lock yourself in a room by yourself for a few minutes. The illustration breaks down for us. We are not capable of loving with the expansive, titanic love with which God loves. God's heart is big, people. But, but again, even on the human level, watch how this works. I have an illustration for you. Here's the illustration, if the clicker will work. Go ahead and switch it. It doesn't even work for you. There it is. That's you in the illustration. Don't be embarrassed by the shape of your head. Everybody has problems. Okay. This is the individual. This is the single, 
solitary individual human in the illustration. Are you tracking with me? Now, every human being, it works if I come down here, that's great. Every human being has what we're going to call an inner circle of intimate relationships. I don't know who that is for you, but they all have names, right? These are, there's an intimate inner circle of relationships that, that you have. For me, that would be my wife, Sue, my, my daughter, Leah, my daughter, Amber, my son, Jason, and my daughter, Amber, she married some guy, what's his name? Um, Jerome, that's right. She married a guy named Jerome, they procreated, they have two children. So that's, Jerome is in my inner circle. My wife says he's in my inner circle. He's there, I guess. And then there's Mason and Austin, okay? So I'm Grandpa Ty. And we have this, this thing going on. It, it's called a family. And, and that's my inner circle. Now, now, my inner circle, like yours, has extended circles that, that go out from there. My daughter Amber, for example, has a very close friend named Melissa. Are you tracking with me now? But Melissa is not the same to me as Amber. I mean, I like Melissa a lot. She's a cool girl. I only know her through Amber. And in human experience, I don't know if you can see that, but across the bottom, there's an N and an F. In the illustration, the NF is what we're going to call the nearness factor. It's what everybody, the nearness factor. Everybody has a nearness factor with others that yields what we're going to call a sensitivity quotient. A what, everybody? A sensitivity quotient, or if you like the word level better, a nearness factor that yields a sensitivity level. Now, with Amber, I have a nearness factor on a scale from 1 to 10, maximum nearness factor. We'll call it 10. Actually, it's more like 12 or 15. It's off the charts. This little girl was placed in my arms at birth. I looked down into her big, fat, blubbery face, and I saw her beautiful blue eyes, and immediately I knew that I myself would do anything for her. A nearness factor of 10, which of course yields a sensitivity level of what? 10 on a scale from 1 to 10. I mean, the more, follow this, the more you love someone, the more you feel what they feel. Isn't that how it works? And so I feel what Amber feels. If, if Amber begins to cry, if her eyes are flooded with tears, I immediately, I'm her dad, I want to know, what, what's wrong, sweetie? What's going on? What, I want to know. I want to bring relief. My daughter's crying. If she laughs, then she's crazy. She'll tell herself jokes in her head just to torment me. She will start laughing and I'll say, what's funny? And she'll say, I just told myself something really funny in my head. And she knows, I'll say, tell me because I'm a curious person. And she'll say, no, 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 I'm not going to tell you. But it's so funny. And we will go on like that until finally I extract the funny thing from her and I resonate with her happiness in that moment. Now, Melissa, Melissa's different from me. Melissa, I have a sensitivity level of probably just about an eight because I'm not as close to her. The nearness factor just isn't there. I like the girl a lot. But it's Amber's friend, and I only know her two steps out from my inner circle of intimate relations. Now, my daughter Amber has a friend named Melissa who has a mom, watch this, named, I think her name's Judy. It might be Julie. 
I don't even know the lady's name. I know it starts with a J. I like Judy, Julie, whatever her name is. I met her a few times. She seems like a really nice lady. Now, if somebody came in right now and said, hey, Ty, we have an emergency phone call from your daughter, I would drop everything and I would walk out and I would get the phone. If somebody walked in and said, we have an emergency phone call from Melissa, Melissa has been in, I'd say, would you all mind just pausing and praying with me for Melissa? But I know she has an inner circle that will be there for her, and then believe it or not, I just keep preaching. I'm not insensitive, but she's not amber to me. Somebody will be there for her. But my daughter Amber has a friend named Melissa who has a mom named Judy, now check this out, who has a third cousin on her father's side in the north of Ireland named Bobby McGillicuddy. And if somebody told me Bobby is going through some hard times, I'd say, bummer. And then I'd turn to my wife and I'd say, what about sushi? Let's have sushi. Right? I wouldn't think about it anymore. My, my nearness factor with Judy, with Bobby, it's just not there. I'm not hard, I'm not jaded, I'm not insensitive, I just, I'm, I'm limited, I'm finite. I can't feel all the feelings in the world. Can you? Of course you can't. But God can and does feel all the feelings in the world. It's the most remarkable thing imaginable. That God isn't merely an austere monarch on a throne with outstretched arm and pointed finger issuing commands. God isn't merely a large intellectual capacity like infinite wisdom, although God is a genius and that's an understatement. But God's not merely cerebral knowledge. He's not just powerful and intelligent. The fact that God is love, according to Scripture, communicates to us that God is not only omniscient, God is not only omnipresent, God is not only omnipotent, God is omnipassionate. God is omni-emotional. God is the epicenter of all pure and holy and true and vital emotion. And the only reason any of us feel anything is because we were made in the image of a God who is a feeler. God is emotional, and he feels you, and he feels me. You wake up in the morning, kid you not, no exaggeration, you wake up in the morning and God's eyes are upon your countenance. You open your eyes and you begin to stretch. Your first moment of consciousness, he's perfectly aware of. You stretch, you turn, you come to the edge of the bed. If you're over 40, you have to get momentum. And then you stand up and you begin walking and there's that familiar pain from years of jogging and running in your left knee and God is aware of that pain. You get a phone call an hour after waking up and it's bad news and God feels the sadness that you feel of the bad news. You see a little child playing with a puppy and you burst into laughter and God is present to the joy 
of that moment. He is perfectly aware. God is different in the illustration. You and I have an inner circle and then it ripples out from there. But the fact is God has an inner circle as well. And God's inner circle includes me. That's me. And God has a nearness factor with tie of 10. Yielding a, yielding a sensitivity quotient of 10. He knows everything I've ever been through as if it were his own experience because that's how love operates but God's inner circle includes everybody including Melissa and Judy and Bobby McGillicuddy everybody's in God's inner circle God knows each one as if there were not another person in all the universe to know with his omne passionate heart this God is so amazing that scripture describes God's emotional capacity in words like these in Isaiah 63 verse 9. You'll never read anything in all of literature that will approach the magnitude of the beauty of this simple sentence. Speaking of Israel in the wilderness and all the crazy stuff they went through, in retrospect, looking back, Isaiah looks back and he says, in all their afflictions, he, God, was afflicted. That's solidarity language. That's the language of empathy. God was with them in all their afflictions. And notice this, the angel of his presence saved them in his love and in his pity. He redeemed them and he bore them, watch this, he bore them and carried them all the days of old. Notice this language, he, he carried them, he bore them. What, like, like a sack of physical weight over his back? No, this is, this is language that is attempting to approximate the emotional weight that God feels. If, if, if you've ever loved anybody who was an addict, you know what this means. If you've ever loved anybody who was spinning out of control, you know what it feels like to carry another human being in your emotional state, knowing that you can't abandon them, that you have to stay close to them if there's going to be any hope of them seeing your love for them to save them, to pull them through. So you can't walk away and yet the pain is so intense because in all their afflictions you are afflicted and God experiences this for the whole human race. Or check this out. Psalm 56 verse 8. This is astounding. David says to God, speaking directly to God, he says, you keep track of all my sorrows. What is God doing? Keeping track of all my sorrows. You have collected you have collected all my tears in your bottle. Wow. You have recorded everyone in your book. Collected all my tears in, in bottles? I mean, what is this? Is this, you get into the New Jerusalem and there's a big room with, with bottles of tears, saline, and they're all labeled and you find your name and there's all your tears? No, it's a metaphor for God's emotional state. God is perfectly acutely aware of every tear you ever 
shed, and the same is true of me. Or how about Hebrews 4.15? Wow, he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities? That's you, that's me, that's every person that you've ever laid eyes on. You walk down these streets in New York and you're passing people by and jumping in a cab and you have momentary eye contact with, with somebody who's rushing off to do something and you'll never see them again. You don't know who they are. You don't know their place of employment. You don't know the room that they're going home to alone tonight. You don't know that they survive by channel surfing and eating Pringles. You don't know what they're going through, and yet God does. He feels all their feelings. Or what about when Jesus said it this way? Jesus said, essentially, anything you do to anyone, it's as if you did it to me. I mean, anybody, anybody who's ever loved your mom knows, I grew up on the streets of L.A., and my friends and I, we would fight about a lot of different stuff, but we would always make up. But we had, a, we had something we used to say on the streets of L.A. You can say anything you want about me, I'll fight you, we'll be friends again, but don't you dare talk about my mother. There is something about love that so connects two people together that you feel whatever threatens them or harms them. Jesus is here again speaking the language of solidarity and empathy. He's saying, I'm so close to each person. I love each one so intensely, so deeply that you can't do anything to anybody that I don't take personal. Everything you do or don't do is to the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter who you do it too. In the book Desire of Ages, again, from the author Ellen White, page 356, one of the most beautiful lines you will ever read anywhere, anywhere. A single sentence penetrates the subject. Not a sigh is breathed. You know what a sigh is, right? Do a sigh. What's a sigh? Ah. It's not a scream. It's not, ah! A sigh is a, a very slight expression of discomfort. Not even a sigh is breathed, not a pain is felt, not a sorrow pierces the soul, but the throb vibrates to the Father's heart? Really? Is that what's going on in the universe? Is God carrying all of us? Is he carrying you and me? Does he notice every sigh? Does he love you with such a perfectly conscious and empathetic love that nothing you ever experience ever escapes his notice? Could God truly be that beautiful and that good? Well, you remember John 3.16. For God so, what's that word? Love the world. Jesus used the word agape. Agape is the Greek word for unilateral love, one-way love, unconditional love. That means I love you regardless of anything external to myself. The Bible says God is love, therefore, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more than he already does because he already loves you with all his heart at the zenith level of his passion. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less 
because God's love is not conditioned upon your behavior. So God loves you and me with agape love. It's unilateral love. It's, it's unconditional love. You can't get married by putting this kind of love up front. You can't, you can't go to the girl that you want to marry, anyone single here, and say, listen, listen, I'm just such a great guy that I'm willing to marry you. I don't see anything in you to recommend you to me, but I'm a great guy. I got something going on inside of me. My love's real big, so I can deal with you. Will you marry me? What is she going to say? Get lost now. There's a different kind of love. God's love to redeem us is very humbling. God, through agape, is looking at you and me and saying, you're a sinner, you're fallen, you're damaged, you are broken, and I still love you. There's nothing you can do to turn my love away from you. Now, as sinners in need of salvation, we need that kind of love. We need unconditional agape love, unilateral love that, that regardless of what's going on inside of us, God says, I love you. Let me, let me just tell you, I am convinced that to be perfectly known and perfectly loved simultaneously is the essence of our healing as human beings. To be known with perfection and simultaneously to realize, wow, God knows everything about me and he still loves me? Yes, he does. But there's a different kind of love. Watch this, watch this. Here we are. There's a different kind of love. Jesus comes to the end of his ministry. To this point, I have to, I have to call your attention to this. To this point, through the Gospel of John, Jesus has only ever used the word agape. And then at the close of his ministry, he takes this, he takes this interesting turn. And, and, and he says, these things I have spoken to you in figurative language. He told a lot of parables and stories. But the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language. I'm going to lay aside all the metaphors, but I will tell you plainly of the Father, about the Father. And when Jesus tells us plainly about the Father, what is the plain, straight truth about the Father? Here it is. In that day you will ask in my name, but I do not say that I will pray the Father for you. Why? Is Jesus walking away from us? Do you want nothing to do with us anymore? Why is he stepping aside? Is he stepping aside because he's suddenly given up on us? No, 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 listen, listen. The biblical concept of mediation, right? In Jesus' name we pray, through Christ to the Father. Mediation is a bridge, it's not a wall. And what this scripture is telling you and me is that Jesus has been courting us and he's been escorting us into the presence of the Father into the Father's heart. And Jesus is saying the day is coming when it's finally going to dawn on you. What's going to dawn on you? You don't need me in between anymore because here are some of the most powerful words in Scripture. The Father himself loves you. That's the plain truth. That's the straight truth. That's the reality behind all the parables and all the metaphors and all the symbols. Jesus all along has been saying one thing through every line of Scripture. The Father himself loves you. And Jesus now, for the first and only time, doesn't use the word agape. He uses the word phileo, which is friendship love. 
Jesus is essentially saying, he's saying, listen, God loves you with agape love. He loves you with unilateral, unconditional love. You need God to love you as a sinner with a love that is not conditioned by your condition. Yes, God loves you and me with agape love, but listen carefully now. Jesus comes to the end of his ministry and he says, listen, he says, the Father himself loves you with phileo love. Jesus closes his ministry by saying, not only does the Father love you, the Father likes you. He's fond of you. God the Father literally wants the enjoyment of your company for all eternity. God loves you and me with agape love. God loves you and me with friendship, love. This is the reality that we're dealing with. God's love is like a circle, the center of which is everywhere and the circumference of which is nowhere. In other words, if you want to locate the center of God's focus, God's passion, God's love, the center of God's love, where is it? It's there. And simultaneously, it's here and there and there, without any division of interest or passion or consciousness. And there are no parameters, there's no circumference, there's nowhere you can go outside of the circumference of God's love. His love for you and me is so intense that we, as it were, each of us are alone with God in the universe. So as I see it, or more accurately, as Megan sees it, it's as if God is approaching with a piece of paper in his hands. He's coming straight at you. He's coming straight at me. And as he comes face to face with you and he places that piece of paper in your hands, the God of the universe looks into your eyes and he says, do you see it? Do you really see it? What, what am I looking for? Do you see it? There's a big person and there's a little person. And God says, I'm the big one, in case you didn't know. And you're the little one. And if you look real close, we're holding hands. Do you know why we're holding hands? And the God of the universe says to you and me, because we like each other. And that, according to Megan, and according to Jesus, is what eternity future is made of. Eternal, nonstop, ever-growing, expansive friendship love with God.